In Daniel chapter 4, we're going to begin reading at verse 28 down to the end of the chapter. And here's what we read, beginning at verse 28. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Now, all of this is referring to what Daniel predicted last week would happen to him. So I want you just to back up to verse 25. Let's refresh our memory. This is the decree that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 25, that you be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place be with the beasts of the field, and you be given grass to eat like cattle, and be drenched with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Now we come to verse 28. All of this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you and you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird claws. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? At that time my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom, and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty, and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are true, and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. What a remarkable text of scripture. May God add his blessing to the reading of it. Let's bow and look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the word and those who are here to partake of it today. We pray your blessing on our time. We thank you for the church and people who deem it important on the Lord's day to gather together in it. We pray that you would do special works of grace and all those who have that perspective. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. When you study history, history is filled with many accounts of leaders who began the day ruling over millions of people, and by the end of the day, they were either in exile or dead. For example, Herod Agrippa was at the pinnacle of his power. He was at the height of his prosperity when the day began. In fact, according to the record in Acts chapter 12, verses 21 to 23, he put on his royal clothing he went out and stood before thousands of people to address them, and those people began to cry out that his was the voice of God, not the voice of man. As a result, God struck him down. He was eaten by worms and died. Back in 1963, John F. Kennedy was at the peak of his power and popularity. 
He was already looking forward to the presidential campaign for 1964. He decided that he would go to Dallas, Texas to try to rally the Democratic Party. On November 22nd, 1963, he was in a motorcade on a beautiful sunny day, but before the ride was over, he was dead. He started out the day being the honored president of the United States. He ended the day being a dead corpse. But of all of the historical accounts of a world leader being humbled, there are none more dramatic than the one you see right here in the book of Daniel. There's an interesting verse of scripture in the book of Ecclesiastes, the 8th chapter, the 11th verse, which says, Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. The point of the verse is that God typically does not bring his sentence on someone quickly. God typically gives people an opportunity to repent, time to repent. But as evil progresses and becomes worse and worse, he finally says, I've had enough. He eventually steps in and levels the proud. That's precisely what he does in this text before us. After Daniel predicted what God would do in the previous verses to Nebuchadnezzar, God gave Nebuchadnezzar about a year to repent. He gave him a year to respond to Daniel's admonition, which said, Now turn from your wicked, proud ways and do what's righteous. But Nebuchadnezzar did not repent. In fact, as the text brings out, he became more and more arrogant. As the days moved forward, Nebuchadnezzar forgot about Daniel's warnings. He just seemed to think it was just nice that Daniel shared that, but it really doesn't mean anything applicable for him. I've seen that. I've been beside the bed of a man in a hospital who promised God that if he would bring him through surgery, he would be faithful to him. He would really plug in his life into the church. God brings him through the surgery, and it lasts about a month or two, and then he seems to forget about his commitment, and he just backs away. That's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He just backed away from the warnings Daniel gave him. That's the way God typically works, though, when it comes to judgment. He gives people time for repentance before he sends it. For example... God waited patiently for 120 years during the days of Noah. He gave the world plenty of time to repent before he sent the flood. God gave Jerusalem about 40 years after she killed his son to repent. And then when she didn't, the Romans came and destroyed the city and the temple. And God has given this present world about 2,000 years to repent. And the world still doesn't respond to the grace of God. In fact, this world gets worse and worse every day. But there is a serious, sober message that comes to us from this text. And it says this. After God gives a person a gracious period of time to repent, one may be absolutely certain that God will literally fulfill his word in any dispensation, and he will humble and break the proud by his judgment whether it be Nebuchadnezzar who lived nearly 600 years before Christ or a person who lives today who lives approximately 2,000 years after Christ. The fact of the matter is God only grants his grace so long. And then there comes a moment when his literal judgment comes. It doesn't matter who the person is. It doesn't matter what the person has. Eventually his judgment comes. We must not ever assume that God's judgment will not ever come against us because it most assuredly will. And that's something you see in this text. Now I want you to notice carefully how verse 28 begins. 
All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, just don't jump over that. Everything Daniel promised Nebuchadnezzar came to fruition. Everything God said literally happened. In other words, God fulfilled prophecy literally. That was not symbolic language that Daniel was using in regard to Nebuchadnezzar. God literally did what he said he was going to do. All the specific things about him actually eating grass and having dew on him, all those things were literally fulfilled. And there's an important principle for us to glean here about biblical prophecy. This is a key point. Biblical prophecy is fulfilled literally by God. This is how God still fulfills prophecy. If God says in his word, one day Israel will have a land, you can be absolutely certain one day Israel literally will have a land. If God says in his word that one day the church will be raptured and caught up to meet the Lord in the air, you can be absolutely certain that one day the church will be raptured and caught up to meet the Lord in the air. If God's word says that when a believer dies to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, you can be absolutely certain that when a believer dies, that's exactly what happens. And when God's word says if an unbeliever dies, they're instantly in a place called hell, you can be absolutely certain that is the truth. When God's word promises something, it comes to fulfillment just exactly, literally as he promised it. And that we see here. Now in this text, there are seven facts I want to point out to you that show us what this passage accomplishes. Fact number one, you have the time of the fulfillment of prophecy. Verse 29 says, 12 months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. It's pretty specific. The fulfillment of this prophecy was one year after prediction was made in verses 24 to 26. The description of what happened is pretty clear. Nebuchadnezzar was walking on top of his roof of his royal palace. This would have been the most secure place that he could have possibly have been. When you think of the roof of Nebuchadnezzar's palace, don't think of the roof on your house or mine. You don't go walking on our roofs like he was walking on his. Thomas Robinson, who gets a lot of his information from the historian Herodotus, says that walls surrounding Babylon at this time were 350 feet high, 87 feet wide. It's been observed that you could put on the walls that surrounded Babylon four chariots side by side. He said every one of those walls were 15 miles long. It was a 15-mile square city. There were 25 streets which ran parallel from north to south. Those streets were intersected by 25 other streets which ran east to west. The Euphrates River flowed right smack dab through the middle of Babylon and the population at the time that Nebuchadnezzar lived was about 2 million people. Now Nebuchadnezzar's palace was in the middle of all of this. It was absolutely spectacular. In fact, according to historical accounts, his palace featured a remarkable garden, which was called in history the Hanging Gardens, which was 4,000 square feet. The Greeks called it one of the great wonders of the world. He apparently had this built in his palace because his wife was from Media. He wanted her to be able to look at the gardens and be reminded of her homeland. So he is out in a very spectacular type of palace walking on the roof, He's looking over all of this. He thinks, I'm totally secure. I'm totally untouchable. Nobody can reach me here. This is the most secure spot I can be. I've got soldiers guarding this place. I'm surrounded by a wall. I'm on my own roof. But that all changed in a moment. Because God said, this is the day I fulfill my word and you go down. Doesn't matter how secure you may think you are. This is the day my judgment comes. 
And God's judgment always comes in his time, no matter where a person is or how secure a person may think he is. And the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, none of us know the day that God's going to say that. None of us knows when God will say, this is your day. This is the day I'm going to deal with your pride. Those who know what's right and true and they persist in a proud rebellion against God have a day coming when God's going to say the same thing. This is the day I'm going to break you. This is the day you're going to go down. God has the power as the sovereign God to say, this is the day I'm taking away your job. God has the power to say, this is the day I'm taking away your health. God has the power to say, this is the day I'm taking away your money. This is the day I'm taking away your life. A person who's in proud rebellion against Almighty God is on dangerous ground. And the admonition of this text is humble yourself before God before he says, this is your day. Which brings us to the second fact, the reason for the fulfillment of prophecy. Verse 30, he says, The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself has built as a royal residence by my might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? People who are in high positions of power oftentimes live a life as if they're above everyone and everything else, including the law, and that's where Nebuchadnezzar was in his thinking. He even raised his level above that of God. That's why sometimes you'll see some leaders do proud, obnoxious things because they don't realize that what they have and who they are has been granted to them of the Lord. Of all of the sins that anger God, of all of the sins that can probably most quickly bring about his judgment, there is none more dangerous than pride. The fact of the matter is when you carefully search the scriptures, God absolutely hates pride. It's first on the list of the seven things that he hates. And when people become proud, he intends to step in and do something about it. Now we get in this one verse in capsule form precisely why God did what he did. Nebuchadnezzar was an arrogant man. He was a proud man. He's walking around the roof and he's boasting about Babylon. He's boasting about his palace. He's boasting about his power. He's boasting about his glory and his majesty. The fact of the matter is, as Nebuchadnezzar stood on that roof and he looks at the Euphrates River and those big walls and he sees all that's contained in there, he was proud of himself. He was proud of all he'd accomplished. The fact that he was dominating the world. God was nowhere in his thought. Nebuchadnezzar is on that roof thinking, look who I am. Look all I have. Look all I've done. He's taking full credit for all he had and for all he built. He had apparently neglected to remember that vision he got back in Daniel chapter 2. That giant statue where it was taught to him specifically in verse 37 of chapter 2 that God had given everything to Nebuchadnezzar and allowed him to come to power. And God was the one who had given him his authority. You know, we live in a day and age in which there seems to be an atmosphere, even in churches, that we're to build ourselves up. We are to promote self-esteem. We're to make ourselves look good. That's the goal of the church. The goal of the church is that we humble ourselves before God, not build our self-esteem or try to make ourselves look like we're wonderful. It's to demonstrate how miserable we are before God. And you and I will never be more miserable then we're trying to build our own empire. We'll never be more malcontent than when we begin to think that we're the ones who have achieved it. Most of the problems I've seen in churches in the past 20 years are due to pride. In capsule form, there's the heart of the problem. People will not humble themselves to the Word of God when they're shown the Word of God. They don't want to hear it. I've seen God demolish proud people. 
I've seen him wipe them out. I saw a man in a church proudly speak out and do evil against a faithful person of God. He ended up losing his business and he ended up losing his family. I saw a power-crazed man in a church who not only lost a promotion, he was actually demoted. God has his ways of saying, I've had enough of this. I'm going to step in and do something about it. And that's what he did here. And you'll never be more beastly than when you start to elevate yourself and forget about God. Just begin to think that your world is more important than God's world. Just begin to think, I don't really need to focus on God so much. I've got my own agenda. I've got my own things I've got to accomplish. Leave God out and watch what happens to your spiritual life. See if you don't become more beastly in the way you think and even begin to do some bizarre things. Which brings us to the third fact, the judgment response of God to Nebuchadnezzar, verses 31 to 32. Now, while Nebuchadnezzar is speaking on the roof, walking around, strutting around, thinking, my, I'm so powerful, God literally and suddenly spoke out of heaven and he said, it's time for you to pay for your proud rebellion. Now, remember, we're a year later. God does not usually act instantly, but he does act suddenly. When he decides this is it, it happens, and it happens in a moment. For example, when Paul speaks of the rapture and the tribulation, he says, when they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come on them suddenly and they will not escape. Now, there were four realities revealed to Nebuchadnezzar in verses 31 to 32. Number one, sovereignty has been taken from you. Verse 31, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. Now, I want you to understand what that means. What God's basically saying is whatever you have, Nebuchadnezzar, I've given you and I'm taking it away from you. That's something you and I need to remember. Whatever we have or wherever we are, it's been given to us by God. It can be taken away by God. You may think that I've got it all right now. Just know this. God entrusted us with it. We have a responsibility to use it for his glory. If we begin to think it's ours and it's not his and we don't have any accountability to God, God can just as quickly take it away. In Job's case, it was a test. In Nebuchadnezzar's case, it was a punishment. The second reality is you will be driven away from mankind. The promise in verse 32 is, and you'll be driven away from mankind. In other words, what God's saying is, I'm going to drive you away from acting human. You're not even going to be able to act human anymore. I'm going to cause this to happen. You could have hired the best physicians you could have hired the best psychologists and psychiatrists to psychoanalyze him. You could have put him on any medication you want. You couldn't have reversed this condition. God says, this is judgment from me. Nobody's going to reverse this. It's coming from my hand. God was taking away his reason because of his arrogance. And when people become proud, they lose their sense of reasonableness. The third reality is you'll eat grass like cattle. That's what he flat out says. You're going to be given grass to eat like cattle. You know, I believe there are many people who act beastly because of an edict of God. And I believe there are some people whom God has given up. They do not have an appetite to eat the meat of the Word of God. They can't stand to be around the truth of God when it's deep because God has taken that appetite away. I've seen those that deal in a shallow existence. They'll run from seminar to meeting, but they never grow deep because they don't feed on the deep words of God. And it's almost as if God says, you're not going to eat meat anymore. I'm not going to let you. 
The fourth reality is you'll eat grass for seven years until you admit the truth of God. God says, I've set the time zone of this. You're going to do this for seven years, seven periods of time, which turns out to be seven years. God is operating according to his time schedule, not our time schedule, not Nebuchadnezzar's time schedule. God was the one who's ruling over mankind. And until God's time was up, no one could do anything about this judgment until it pleased God that his judgment had come to fruition. Nobody was going to stop it. You couldn't have any power in the universe. No educational plan could prevent this. It was his sovereign will. And he was working it out right here, right now. And ladies and gentlemen, you get a glimpse here of what God is going to do during another seven-year period of time. It's going to be called the Great Tribulation. And during that seven-year period of time, people on earth will act like beasts. And I believe we're nearing that day. And what will trigger that moment is the rapture of the church. And when you look into a world and you see people today who are even dressing immoral in public, who are liars, who are molesters, who are murderers, and they're going free, it is saying to us the time is coming when the world will be dominated by those who are going to act like beasts. And the hour is nigh. The fourth fact is the immediate literal fulfillment of the judgment prophecy. Notice verse 33. Immediately, uh, the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. Five observations. Immediately, Nebuchadnezzar was driven from mankind. Immediately, verse 33, he began eating grass like cattle. That's a remarkable thing to think about. R.K. Harrison, who's written one of the better introductions to Old Testament history and the Old Testament books of the Bible, said that he personally observed a young man in his 20s in 1946 in a mental institution who had the same characteristics that Nebuchadnezzar had. He said, and it's an interesting thing to read. I have a volume of it if you ever are interested in this or get your hands on a volume. I've cited it for you in your notes. He said this man would spend his entire day outdoors. He describes the man's behavior the following way. His daily routine consisted of wandering around the magnificent lawns with which the otherwise dingy hospital situation was graced, and it was his custom to pluck up and eat handfuls of grass as he went along. He never ate institutional food with the other inmates, and his only drink was water. The writer was able to examine him cursorily and the only physical abnormality noted consisted of a lengthening of the hair and a coarse thickening condition of the fingernails. Without institutional care, the patient would have manifested precisely the same physical conditions as those mentioned in Daniel 4.33. May I make a spiritual application from this? If you discover you have more of an appetite for other things rather than the Word of God, check yourself. You make sure that you're not in some proud rebellion in your life against God because you could be under the judgment of God. The third observation is Nebuchadnezzar's body was drenched with dew. That tells us he was out there early in the morning. I mean, this is the way he was. He was just like an animal, just as the sun would come up, as light comes. Those animals that are nocturnal, he was beginning to function just like that. He's out there eating grass. The fourth observation, his hair grew long like eagle's feathers. And his fifth observation, Nebuchadnezzar's nails grew long like bird claws. Every single detail fulfilled precisely, just as God predicted. Ladies and gentlemen, people who are proud and not right with God, 
and acting and looking and doing bizarre things. And that is why a man will want to have an operation to become a woman. Or a woman will want to have an operation to become a man. It's bizarre stuff. It's due to the fact that neither one says, I want God's will for my life. I want to accept where God put me in life. I want to respond to His word. I want to accomplish what He wants me to accomplish. You see, if that were the case, then you wouldn't have the bizarreness that you have like here with Nebuchadnezzar. The fourth fact is the repentance of Nebuchadnezzar. Verses 34 to 35. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. After seven years, Nebuchadnezzar was finally humbled. And that, by the way, is exactly the same amount of time it's going to take to humble the world during the Great Tribulation. When I taught you the book of Revelation, I said there were three purposes for the Great Tribulation. I've now added a fourth. I believe there are four purposes for the Great Tribulation that's described in Revelation chapters 6 to 19. One purpose of it will be to humble proud man. In the Tribulation period, God's going to assault this proud, arrogant God-mocking world right out of heaven with those serious judgments that will come right out of the sky. It's going to humble proud man. The second purpose of the tribulation will be God will pour out his wrath on a God-mocking, God-rejecting world. The third purpose of the tribulation will be to regather the nation Israel. And the fourth purpose of the tribulation will be to prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus Christ. But you can be absolutely certain that during that seven-year period of time, God will humble the world during the tribulation. And that's what it took to bring Nebuchadnezzar to his senses. Finally, Nebuchadnezzar raised his eyes toward heaven and he started offering proper praise to God. That's all it takes, ladies and gentlemen. One look up. One look to heaven and you can be set free from the problem. Finally, Nebuchadnezzar looked up to God for help. And the first thing he does... Look at it in verse 34. I raised my eyes toward heaven, my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. The first thing he did when he was right with God is he wanted to offer praise to the Lord. He's no longer proud. And there are four major acknowledgments that Nebuchadnezzar makes here about God. First of all, God lives forever. Secondly, God reigns forever. Thirdly, compared to God, everything else is nothing. He says, all of us people, including me, are nothing in and of ourselves. And fourthly, he says, God does whatever he wants in heaven and on earth. This is Nebuchadnezzar acknowledging this. God does whatever he wants in heaven and on earth. As one writer said, it's too bad amateur Bible students don't have this accurate perspective of God. Because Nebuchadnezzar believed in the sovereignty of God. You know, there's so many people who want to quibble about God's sovereignty, but Spurgeon said, mark it well. The thing that men want to complain about in God is what they want to love in themselves. They want to complain about God's sovereignty because they want the sovereignty. They don't want to yield to the fact that he's sovereign. They want to be sovereign. But God had so moved that this heathen Gentile king was giving him glory and you and I will never be more free and more spiritual than when we're willing to surrender ourselves to the sovereign hand of God. And may I speak personally to you just for a moment. Perhaps you've been beastly for seven years. Perhaps you've been playing some charade game in your life and you've been arrogantly defying God, living your life your way, not God's way. 
You need to know this. This is a warning passage. God can shut you down. Why not right now look up to him and ask for his help and his delivering power? When you realize God made you and realize that God has given you your life, your abilities, he made someone else, he's given them their life and their abilities, he's in charge of who has what, when you begin to realize that, you're free. You understand my job is to do what I can with what I am and who I am for the glory of God. Their job is to do what they can for the glory of God. You're free. It's freeing. And that's the freedom Nebuchadnezzar found right here. Which brings us to the sixth fact. God lifts the judgment from Nebuchadnezzar as soon as Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged this truth about God. Look at verse 36. At the time my reason returned to me and my majesty and my splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. As soon as Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged this truth about God, his reason returned and he was restored to even a greater level of greatness. See, God's plan is not to shut you down. God's plan is to not make you less. God's plan is to make you more. And the reason why God lifts this judgment is because that too was all part of the predicted plan of God. There'll be a stump left and that stump will once again blossom. In other words, it was the word of God which gave Nebuchadnezzar a second chance. He did it for his purposes. Namely, Nebuchadnezzar would exalt God and testify of greatness and majesty which Nebuchadnezzar did do. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if ever there is a principle to see, it is that God is a God of second chances. Maybe you've proudly rebelled against God. Maybe you've proudly rebelled against his word. I've seen God do what he did for Nebuchadnezzar a million times, metaphorically speaking. I've seen God take a beastly businessman, convict, pervert, baby killer, drunk, prostitute, drug addict from being a beast into becoming a blessing. I have personally seen God doing that. I could put names to what I just said to you because I have personally seen the Lord have his work transform a person into becoming a blessing and turning them from being a beast. I've seen God do that time and time again. Because God is a God of second chances. And if you've been beastly, you can have that all turned around in one moment of time and God can do wonderful things with you. It's never too late. It wasn't too late for Nebuchadnezzar. It's not too late for you. And I want you to notice something, ladies and gentlemen. Humbling oneself before God will always lead to a greater level of greatness. God doesn't stifle Nebuchadnezzar. He blesses him more. When you humble yourself before the Lord, you're putting yourself on a greater track of blessing. So, if you've proudly rebelled against God and His will, look up. Cry out to Him. He'll do great things for you and with you. The final fact is Nebuchadnezzar exalts God, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are true and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Here is, as Dr. Wearsby said, a great compendium of both theology and doxology. 
God is able to humble the proud, and that is exactly what he will do, but one who will humble himself before God will end up being exalted by God, one who's proud will be humbled. It's such a simple principle, but it's one that follows throughout all of Scripture. God is a patient, long-suffering God. He gives people ample opportunity to change in their relationship with him. But know this, there comes a moment in time when God says, time is up, time for judgment. Time to face me. And nothing can stop it when that moment comes. And when it comes to going into eternity, there will be no second chance for those who reject Jesus Christ. Now, people in our world are for the most part honored if they're proud. But I'll tell you this, they'll be broken to pieces the day they get before the living God of the universe. I leave you with four parting thoughts from this text. It is God's sovereignty that lets us be who we are and have what we have. And it is an abomination to God to take credit for it ourselves. It's God who designed you. It's God who gave you your abilities. It's God who gave you your possessions. And the moment we start taking credit for it ourselves, it's an abomination, a proud abomination to Him. Secondly, God has the sovereign ability to humble the proud in body and mind, in circumstances and situations. Don't think He can't do it. He can just because he doesn't instantly knock some proud person down doesn't mean he will not eventually knock them down. His word says he will. Thirdly, God is a very merciful God. He gives proud, rebellious people time to repent. And fourthly, we should live our lives in daily gratitude for God who's given us so many good things in life to enjoy. Have you been in proud rebellion why not settle it right here, right now? Let's pray. Perhaps you've done some beastly things in the past days and you know you're not worthy of anything good from God. God stands ready to turn you from a beast into becoming a great blessing. But it begins with you looking up by faith right now. In this moment, if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, you pray something like this. God, I know I'm a sinner. I admit it. I thank you that Jesus Christ went to the cross to pay the price for my sin. And right now, I'm placing all of my faith in him to be my Savior. Father, I pray that you would use this passage to motivate, stimulate, to convict, to do a personal work in all of our minds and hearts. May we always live our lives in humility and gratitude for all that you've done for us and all that you've given to us. We thank you for this remarkable text of Scripture. For anything that you've accomplished, we thank you and praise you because truly it is your work, your business. In Jesus' name, amen.